offer coat and nainakers, a term often used to describe the residents of Morningside. The meaning can be applied to many things, but in this instance, it's the insinuation that while they appear cultured, dignified and classy, it's merely superficial and in reality, they're no classier than anyone else. At various points in my life, I've been a resident in Morningside. For several years, I lived in Jordan Lane, and I briefly lived in a top floor flat in Morningside Park with my good friend Jenny. The flat was owned by Jenny's parents, and I rented a room from them for a few months in the mid-90s. Jenny and I were close friends, and when I wasn't teaching her how to make super noodles, we spent most of our free time in the local pubs or out at one of the many indie clubs around in the mid-90s Edinburgh. As mentioned, the flat was on the top floor, four flights up and at the end of the stairwell. When you entered the flat, there was a long L-shaped hallway with Jenny's room first on the left and her parents' room on the right, followed by the living room. You then turned to face the bathroom straight ahead with my room on the left and the kitchen on the right. In those days, I worked in the supermarket on the other side of the city. I remember one day being told there was a call for me and when I answered it, it was Jenny, panicked. She said she was in the kitchen and she could hear someone walking around in the living room with banging noises coming from the same room. Now, given I was 30 minutes away, there wasn't much I could do, so I suggested taking a hammer or something hefty, then making a run past the living room and out the front door to find a neighbour. When she and the neighbour returned, they gingerly made their way into the living room. There, they found the stereo speakers, which were securely mounted on the walls, now on the floor. We never discovered how and why they came to be there, but we used to freak each other out by joking it was the Green Lady of Morningside. And it's the Green Lady who features in today's story. Once a separate village, Morningside is now one of the boroughs that make up the south side of Edinburgh. It was formerly part of the Borough Muir and an important stop along one of the old drove roads that led into the city. To the west of Morningside lies the area of Craig Lockhart and it's here that the powerful Elphinstone family bided. In 1712, Sir Thomas Elphinstone, a former governor of Maryland in America, returned to Edinburgh and set up home in Craig Lockhart in a large manor house near to Balcarra Street in Morningside. A widower and father to John, Sir Thomas felt that something was missing from his life, a wife. On his travels, he'd met the much younger Betty Pittendale, 40 years younger in fact, and pursued her endlessly. The age gap wasn't the only obstacle standing in the way of Sir Thomas's desires. There was a problem that he wasn't aware of. While on a previous visit to London, Betty had met and fallen for Captain Jack Courage, as he was known at the time. A man she'd fallen head over heels in love with. But it was not to be. For Captain Jack was posted to Ireland. Heartbroken, and under constant pressure to wed from the amorous Sir Thomas, she eventually caved and agreed to marriage. The wedding day soon arrived, and with this, the tale takes a shocking and ultimately tragic twist. Lady Elphinstone, as Betty was now known, waited eagerly to meet Sir Thomas's young son, John, who'd been overseas with the army. They met at the wedding, and to her horror, she realised that John was in fact her very own Captain Jack. She'd unintentionally married the father of the man she'd fallen in love with. Given they now lived in the same house, 
passions between the two young lovers intensified and ran high, with stolen and secret trysts threatening to expose their affection for each other. They both decided the correct course of action was for John to leave. His father, after all, was said to have a terrible temper and there was a genuine fear as to what would happen should he find out. Soon the time came for John to go and he and Lady Elphinstone had one final meeting where they said their goodbyes and parted with a final kiss. Unfortunately, Sir Thomas rounded the corner at the precise time the couple shared their last embrace. Enraged, he ran towards the young couple. Captain Jack tried to defend his young love. He put himself between her and his enraged father, but his father was too strong for him. Sir Thomas broke free of his son's grasp, and with his dagger in his hand, he lunged towards the young bride. His dagger pierced her chest and straight through her heart, the blade killing her instantly. Upon realisation of what he had done, his anger immediately subsided. Sir Thomas begged his son to run him through with his sword. Instead, Captain Jack picked up the body of his love and carried her to her room, placing her gently on her bed, still wearing her favourite green dress. Here he left his father to mourn at the bedside of the young woman he'd just murdered, and upon daybreak, Sir Thomas was found to have died through the night, his body hunched over Lady Elphinstone's dead body, clutching her hand. As you can imagine, this was too much for John. He left the property and rented it out to a close friend, Colonel Lamington. The Lamington family consisted of the Colonel, his wife and their young daughter. To help them settle in, they hired a governess to help raise their young child. After only a couple of weeks in the property, the servants began to speak of strange noises and happenings in the night. Shaken windows, falling objects and flickering torches. And also, curiously, of seeing the governess walking around late at night in a green dress. Obviously, the governess denied all knowledge of this and chided the servants for telling tales. One morning at breakfast, Mrs. Lamington noticed excitement in one of the servants and asked why he was in such a state. He told her that as he was retiring for the evening, a young woman had entered his chambers, dressed in green. He described her as being in great distress, wringing her hands piteously and looking to the bed as if hoping to see somebody there. Eventually, the apparition disappeared and the room returned to normal. This happened for several nights, on the hour, every hour. Thinking these were practical jokes, the colonel had a second bed moved into the room, so he could spend the night there and chastise the perpetrator of the hoax. Lo and behold, the green lady appeared right on cue. Assuming she was of flesh and blood, the colonel attempted to speak to her, but she immediately vanished, right in front of him. An hour later, the green lady again rushed into the room, this time followed by her husband, bellowing, You have disgraced both yourself and me, before stabbing her in the heart. This terrifying event happened so frequently that eventually the Lamingtons were forced to move out and John returned. But he too had heard the stories, so he brought with him a mystic called Calidosa brought in to help lay the spirits of the dead. Drawing the signs of the zodiac around the property and recounting incantations, Calidosa was successful in raising the spirits of the tragic lovers. Why have you summoned us? 
You have buried me beside my husband, and his coffin is resting on mine. It has caused me unspeakable torment. Take me away and bury me elsewhere, somewhere that I may be next to the man I ought to have married. She pleaded. Caladosa then turned to the spirit of Sir Thomas and asked if he consented. I do, was the reply. On completion of the seance, Lady Elphinstone's vault was opened and her coffin removed. This brought about an end to the haunting of the Green Lady of Morningside. Years later, when Betty's Captain Jack died, he was buried alongside her and the young lovers were once again reunited in the afterlife.